So we've been looking at Romans 12, 9 to 21. Now, I don't know about you guys. I love this section of scripture, okay? And I think it's been just really cool. And, you know, we're going to look at uh, verse 12 today, I think it is. And so we've, we've got several more look. But this is an absolutely amazing section of scripture. It it. When I read this, I, th I think that what I see is I see God sharing his heart with us, giving us directions, both individually and collectively, that will help us to walk into everything that he has for us. And we've been kind of calling it Christian ethics, which Christian ethics, as we've been defining, is principles Christians follow in order to behave as Jesus would, when interacting with followers of Jesus and with those who are not. See, Paul has done an amazing bit of writing in this section in, in giving the church guidance on how to live as Christians. I mean, but it's not rules. It's people who know that they have been changed and saved by God that want to know how to live, to bless our Father, but also to walk in everything he has for us. Aren't, I mean, aren't you glad that when you got saved at this piece of paper didn't float down from heaven and drop in your lap and it says at the top, now that you're saved, this is what you have to do. One, do this. Two, do this. Three, do this. Four, do this. Okay, I understand there's commandments in the Bible. But the overriding fact is we are born again. We have been changed from glory to glory to glory. We have come to the place where we understand that we serve this amazing God who grasped us out of the very pit of hell and set us on a rock. And that's worth getting excited about. That's worth cheering over. And so far we've studied, as we've studied Romans 12, we've looked at let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. And, and remember, we brought up last week that all of this is in light of Romans 12, 1 to 3. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's the beauty of, of the word of God, because when we read it, we are transforming our mind from the worldly mind that it was when we were born again to this new mind that is so focused upon God. 
And then that by testing you mean discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, he's not asking us to crawl up an altar of fire and throw our bodies on it and be burnt up. He, he, he's not asking us to, to do something that, where we're going to die, but he wants a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to him. And if you're like me, you ask, the question is, well, how do I do that? Well, that's the beauty of Romans 12, 9 to, 12, 9 to 21 that we're looking at. Because it gives us a bunch of guidance on how we can walk out who God has created us. I mean, it's all about sanctification, of, of becoming more and more and more of who we really are in Christ. This is, I, I believe all this stuff is in us. We're just learning how to re release it. And it's spiritual worship. You know, it's spiritual worship. It's helping us to become more and more and more like Christ Jesus which I know everyone in this room wants to do. And it helps us to present our bodies to God instead of to the world. We are not to conform to this world. Instead, we, we should renew our mind by filling it with things of God. Always testing everything to make sure that it is the will of God for us. Okay, and that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, that when we, we became a Christian, when we were saved, he took up residence with, within us. And we can check with him and go, is this okay, is this not okay, is this okay, is this not okay? Paul, in writing this section of scripture, in the whole book of Romans, actually, and probably the rest of the Bible too, wants us to be a people that relates to fellow believers in a way that builds up and edifies and encourages and comforts while at the same time being a solid witness to those round about us as the city set upon the hill, as those who have light and salt. What a privilege. What a privilege it is that, that God has said, just like if you've been watching The Chosen or you're reading the scriptures or whatever, when, when he sent his apostles out two by two, he was asking them to go do what he had been doing. And he gave them the authority to do it, just like he's giving us the authority to do the same thing. So moving on to what we're looking at today, Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. That second part you may want to redact in black. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So let's look at the first part, rejoice in hope. The Greek word for, for rejoice is Cairo. And it means to be glad. It means to be delighted. It means to be joyful. It means, you know, Vicky. I am so glad to see you. And the word hope is el peace, 
means expectation of, confidence, what is hoped for. See, we can be delighted and we can be joyful in the expectation that awaits us in God. If you're feeling depressed, you know, Chris and I have had this conversation, I've had it with other people, you know, we're to stand, right? Well, you know what that means? That means turn your posterior, okay, there was a different word that went through my, my mind, turn your posterior towards Satan and look at God. That's how you stand. Because he fights the battle. And he fills us with joy. He fills us with peace. He fills us with everything we need. Our friend over here is going to be an officer in the Marine Corps. I don't know why he chose the Marine Corps over the Navy. I'm still praying. He's still got time to change. But he can't be a good officer without the grace of God. He just can't. And then you know what the wonderful thing about it is? He knows that. Didn't mean, well, yeah, I didn't mean to embarrass you. I want to point out here something, that Paul is not haphazardly throwing things out in verses 9 to 21. That, that he has a purpose for listing what he has been listing. And he has a purpose for how he's listing them. See, these things actually build each, on each other and keep building all the way through to verse 21. They're also interrelated because they play off of each other. They're not just individual thoughts. You know, he was being led by Holy Spirit as he wrote these things down, and, 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 and it's just beautiful the way they come out. And if you read it over and over and over, and I've probably read it over and over 30, 40, 50 times, you begin to see that. For instance, what was the last thing? I'm not going to ask you to answer because I'm just not a quiz that we discussed last week was serving the Lord. And the scripture I just read was rejoice in hope. Well, let me ask you a question. Can you really rejoice in hope if you're not serving the Lord? It sure makes it a whole lot easier. Our God knows what he's doing. And he shares it with us. He speaks to us. He speaks to us through scripture, but he speaks to us directly. It, it, it's just amazing how much he cares for us. I, it, it boggles my mind all the time. And, and the reason it is because each one of you, and I know I've said this many times and you'll hear it many times again, because each one of you is his favorite. But he's also addressing us and bringing us all together and in, in addressing hope throughout the book of Romans. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice, or the Greek word, maybe a better word of that, is we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, how can you boast? Because you know it's there. 
you have 100% assurance that it's there. So you can boast in it. Paul also discussed hope in Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There it comes back again to that patience thing. Okay? And the Greek word there for, for hope in both these scriptures I just read is the same Greek word, peace, which means expectation of confidence. What is hope for? See, hope is tangible. It's tangible. It, 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 it's something that we can reach out and we can grasp and we can hang on to. You know, going back to 1212, to rejoice in hope. We understand, you know, here that hope is not about putting on a smiling face. That, that's, not, that's not what he's talking about here. It, it, nor is it about having the idea that, that great things lie ahead for this age, this world. This present evil age, our world, as Paul calls it, Galatians 11.4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Galatians 1.4, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we're in. There may be hope for this world. I mean, you listen to the prophets out there on Elijah's streams and, and, and different places, um, and, and there's a lot of positive uh, prophecies coming forth about how God's going to turn this country around. And that's cool, and we want that, but, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the New Testament doctrine of hope, of rejoicing hope. You know, the hope that we're talking about when we go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Not being conformed to this world, but being conformed to and having hope in the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what our hope is in. What is good and acceptable and perfect. See, verse 12.1 starts with, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. And this really does link us to all of the doctrine that Romans talks about, including home. T. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know, my, he's one of my favorite authors, says, the only person who rejoices in hope is the one who is clear about the doctrinal teaching of this great epistle and the other epistles too, of course. See, the hope we have in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and their gospel is, is so important. The hope that we have for an amazing future is there to be grasped. The hope that our Redeemer is going to save us out of this world. We haven't seen it yet, but we know it's coming. The hope that we have a kingdom, that there's this kingdom of God that we are part of that far exceeds the world we live in. These are hopes that we need to concentrate on. It's all part of the doctrine of hope. The kingdom we entered upon salvation. We're all part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom which will continue to grow until Jesus comes back, which I wish I could tell you that it's going to be September 17th or something, but I can't. So we can rejoice in all of that and more. The second part of Romans 12, 12b, be patient in tribulation. I have no problem with that. 
just ask my wife and you'll come and tell me I need to repent. The word patient, hupomeno, means to endure, to remain, to hold out, to stand one's ground, to persevere, to bear, to undergo, to stand firm. But we can be patient only, we can only be patient in tribulation when our hope is in God. It's the only way. And not this world. John 16, 33. Reading from the LEB Bible. I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have affliction. But have courage. I have conquered the world. Aren't you glad? And because of that, we can rejoice even in affliction because of the hope of our calling. You know, those light momentary afflictions, you know, it talks about in 2 Corinthians 4.17, will not drag us down. We can, and, and the only reason we can say light and momentary afflictions, the only reason that Paul could say light and momentary afflictions is because he knew who his Savior was. And he knew who he was in Christ. And he knew where he was going in his future. He understood what eternity held for him. And believe me, Paul underwent great tribulation. But because he served the Lord and because he was patient and because he rejoiced in the hope of his salvation, he endured, as we can and will. Tribulation also has its positive aspects. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. We are people that are called to rejoice in our sufferings because they lead to much better, bigger things, including hope. You can go to Romans 8, 28. You know, God uses all things together for good for those who love him and call according to his purpose. And, and in this scripture I just read here in Romans 3, it's the same Greek word again, peace, which means expectation of confidence, what is hope for. We, church, if there's anything that we need to really grasp, we need to have an eternity vision. We need to have an understanding that God has saved us, not to, just so that we can uh, witness here and, and we can be a people that, that just walks around loving God and worshiping and, and doing all the things that, that we do out of a heart that overflows with love for him. But we have an eternal perspective. And the one that blows me away when I think about it all the time, that we will be like him. I mean, think about that. Next time you, you have a quiet time, just sit down and, and go, I'm going to be like you. That's mind-boggling. I'm not going to have the stuff I deal with. I'm not going to have a body that gets tired. I'm going to go from 
here in the back by the two Dan's back there at the video in less than a split second. You know, it's, it's mind-boggling. I will be like him. I won't be God. He's still going to be God. I'm not going to be God. Okay? But we're going to be like him. And I, I don't know what that all means, but it sure is fun to think about. We have to have an eternity vision. It's the only way we can walk out. Because if we start looking around at this world and look at the things that are happening, or the pain or the suffering or the afflictions we deal with, we go into the death spiral. We, we, we just do. But if we stand, turn our posterior to Satan. Okay, I'm going to say it. If we moon him, <laughs> okay, and keep our eyes upon Jesus, life's going to be a whole lot better, no matter what goes. I mean, can you imagine, how did Job say, though you slay me, yet will I serve you? He had a vision that was far beyond his life. He understood something about God that I'm still trying to understand. The eternal perspective. And then he was going to be like him. The third part, be constant in prayer. It's the same thing basically as First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Let me remind you of the four main types of prayer. It's adoration, you know, where we just go, Father, I adore you. You are absolutely amazing. I just, when I gaze upon, I, I just get lost in gazing upon your beauty. For you are holy and high and lifted up and mighty. And, and there is no God like you. You are altogether beautiful. And just to continue to go on, and it, you can almost say it's like worship. In prayer of thanksgiving. Yeah, everybody's got clothes on. It doesn't look like you missed too many meals. You got a place where you live. We've got a lot of things to be thankful for. Prayer of supplication, praying for our needs. And in prayer of intercession, where we're praying for other people's needs. And that God would move and, and do whatever he's going to do. I really believe, I, I, I really do, I honestly believe this, that a person that lives a life of constant prayer is a person that is closer to God. I really do. William Hendrickson made this statement. Without constant prayer, such joy and hope and patience and affliction would not even be possible. Because prayer keeps us focused on a triune God, not the affliction, not the life that's going on around us, not the negative stuff that's going on and wherever you want to put it. So one might ask, what are, what are some other benefits to being constant in prayer? I just jotted down, I think there's 12, 11, 12 of them here that crossed my mind. You're reminded you're not alone. That God's there. The triune God is always with you. He never turns his back on you. He always has your six. In times of suffering, 
you always can be confident that someone is listening. Our relationship with the triune God is strengthened as we pray. Our hearts are filled with the goodness of God. We find it easier to believe the truth of God than the lies of the world. Peace, joy, and rest fill us, often flooding over us. Holy Spirit is constantly filling us. We begin to recognize his voice even more in the midst of chaos and chatter. Our faith increases. Our hope increases as we realize we can be in the presence of our God continually. See, if you're a believer, talking people out there here, you are never, ever, ever, ever out of the presence of God. He's always right there with you. We receive strength from our God as we pray. Our love for our God increases. And you know something? We're just downright better off with a strong prayer life. Let me read a couple of poems here I found. Annie Sherwood Hawks. I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. Don't you love the old English? How about, how about James George Deck here? O Lamb of God, still keep me close to thy wounded side. Tis only th there in safety and peace I can hide. With foes and snares around me, with fears and lusts within, the grace that sought and found me alone can keep me clean. Here's the truth. We're saved. Here in Jesus, we're saved. We're set apart. We're not part of this world. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. Yeah, we're still hanging out in this world. We've got a purpose to build the kingdom of God, to, to, to walk out the Great Commission, to, to be that city set upon the hill, to, to let our light shine, to let the salt taste good, all those things, to serve people. And we're here as sojourners, as exiles, as temporary residents, as pilgrims, as foreigners and strangers, as stated in various versions of the Bible. And as we pray continuously, we will become more than conquerors, as it talks about in Romans 8, 35, and 37. And as we follow the Holy Spirit, we will overcome the world, as it talks about in John 16, 33. And we will give, be given strength from God to do the things we have been called to do. Like it says in Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, you don't want to go too far with that. You want to make sure the Holy Spirit is uh, calling you to jump off that cliff to rescue the person 500 foot down. <laughs> okay. But as we pray continuously, as we pray without ceasing, as we are constantly in the presence of the living God, which we can do as we just, you know, walk down the street, just, Lord, just love you. Is there anything here you want me to do? What's going on? You know, speak to me. But Luke 18, 1 says, and he told them a parable to show that they must always pray and not be discouraged. Let me make what may be a, a bold statement. 
If we do not have an ongoing, constant, and active prayer life, at the very least, it will be more difficult to walk in these exhortations we're looking at in Romans 12, which greatly help us to follow and serve our amazing God. And of course, we must include the rest of what is in the Bible. I, I, I really hope through this all we're, we're getting a very important point here. For us to rejoice in hope and to be patient in tribulation and to love genuinely, hang on to what is good and not be slothful and be servant and all those things that we've already talked about and to follow Jesus in a victorious manner, we need to have a good prayer life, to be constant in prayer. And that doesn't mean it has to be a 45-minute prayer, okay? But I think we all want to follow Jesus in a victorious manner. John Calvin put it, put it this way, but as both of these things are far above our strength, we must be instant in prayer and continually call on God that he may not suffer our hearts to faint and to be pressed down or to be broken by adverse offense. In other words, he's saying, let's be a people that are constant in prayer because it's good for us, that are devoted to, that persist obstinately in, that persevere, that are in close company with, that stay close to and are enduring while holding fast to prayer. See, that desire to respond and to serve our God with our whole heart is what prayer helps us to do. And in that, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, will manifest itself more and more and more. And as we are, we'll be able to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation because we're being constant in prayer. It's really simple. You know, there was a game show where they had three lifelines. Was it something about a millionaire or something, wasn't it? There is no greater lifeline that we as followers of Jesus have than prayer. I love how there is so much prayer going on in this church. You know, there's groups on Monday, there's groups on Wednesday, there's the third Friday, there's every Sunday night, and there's other things that are going on. And it's just absolutely wonderful because people are being encouraged. They're being strengthened. They're, they're growing in the Lord. Our, our relationship with God is getting closer and closer and closer. I mean, do you find it interesting that Jesus, one of the things he's doing at the right hand of the Father is ever interceding for us? You know? Then he left us with John 17, which is what I call the Lord's Prayer, and he told, taught the disciples how to pray. Prayer is so significant. And it's only with prayer that we can walk through what we've, what we've already looked at in Romans 12, but the things that follow that we're going to be looking at over the days and weeks, uh, weeks and that follow, we can do because of prayer. And let me tell you, there is no greater person 
that spend time talking to and listening to than our Father. He is absolutely amazing. He is such an encourager. I've said it before and I'll say it again that, that when I, I say some things that can be pretty stupid and then he goes, but Gary, I love you. And my heart melts. And it's the same for you. I'm sure you have your testimonies and you have those moments. And old Slewfoot is very willing to help us be so busy that we can't pray. But, you know, here's the, here's the lie in that. We can pray. You know, at work, if you're going down the hall to a meeting, you can pray. Or you can pray when you're driving down the road. Or one I'm, that God's really having me work on, just confessing the truth, when somebody does something stupid while I'm driving and you're driving, to not get, get mad, but to pray for them. Okay? Don't always do that well. You can ask my wife. Because she's over there praying for me. <laughs> Prayer is important. All of this stuff is important. Christian ethics. Amen? So we had, a, if there's anybody that still needs prayer for anything, please come up and somebody will come and pray with you. And we got prayer tonight at 6.30. We're, we're changing everything to 6.30.